Welcome to the Rancho Cordova podcast, brought to you by the Rancho Cordova Film Office, and thank you for tuning in. Recently, I had the pleasure of visiting Soilborne Farms right here in Rancho Cordova. And if you have never visited Soilborne, I would highly recommend a visit. So what is Soilborne Farms? Inspired by a shared vision of healthy food for all, a dedication to improve the quality of life in our community, and a love of the natural world, three co-founders transformed the farm into a non-profit organization in November of 2004. With the help of a small group of talented staff and apprentices, foundation grants, grassroots support, dedicated volunteers, and encouragement from community partners, Soilborn Farms grew to operate two urban farms on 55 acres in Sacramento and Rancho Cordova. It has now evolved into a nationally recognized center for the promotion of urban agriculture, sustainable food systems, and healthy food education. Soilborn Farms is about so much, growing food, mentoring youth and future farmers, teaching people how to cook and garden, creating urban farms and preserving wild spaces, developing partnerships, and improving access to fresh produce throughout our community. And at the core, it is about making a difference. It seems transforming a shared vision of healthy food for all into a local reality. On this episode of the Rancho Cordova podcast, we have an informative and interesting conversation with founder and co-director, Sean Harrison. So join us on this journey towards a healthier Rancho Cordova and Sacramento as a whole. My name is Charles Lego, and I'm your host. So why don't we start off by telling us about the inspiration behind starting Soulbull Farms and how it all began. Okay. Well, uh, I grew up in Sacramento, and uh, if it's my 51 year on the earth, and when I was a kid, it certainly has changed since then. But, you know, Sacramento historically has been an ag town. Um, and, um, and I really, you know, that shaped who I was, right? I mean, wherever you went, agriculture was around us. Even though I kind of grew up, you know, sort of in the suburban Rancho Cordova and Carmichael areas, um, you know, I was fishing and hunting and, you know, exploring the world. And it was always within sort of that agricultural sort of, um, context. Um, it certainly shaped, you know, sort of my perspective of the, of the, the landscape. Um, and so, you know, I fast forward, you know, over the years as a family and stuff, we had, you know, a variety of health issues that, you know, could be traced back to diet and, I also was really interested in the environment. And so I saw sort of, you know, through my own lens, of course, but what agriculture, at least certain types of agriculture were doing to the earth. And I thought, wow, what, what kind of, you know, work would it be to, to, to do Sacramento, do agriculture, but do it in a way where we can get really people understanding how to grow food in a more sustainable way, but also in a way that you know, promotes long-term health and well-being. And so it was like, let's start a farm in the in city. The middle, in yeah. the middle of Rancho. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, the first farm wasn't in Rancho. The first farm was in the Arden Arcade 
area, which is in Carmichael. Oh. Um, there was a little three-acre property that we started on back in 2000, which is a, a cool little story associated with that. And then we started looking for a permanent home because that was privately owned by a woman that had been there for a long time named Elizabeth Collins. Um, but we, so we started looking for a permanent home and, and, and growing up in Sacramento, you know, I met with, you know, supervisor Don Natoli and I sat down with Angela Sakopoulos and a few other, you know, folks that really had an understanding of what land might be available. And that's how we, the, the American river ranch here, um, got on our radar and then that, that became our focus and, and we'll get into how big it is and all that. But what is yeah. the mission, the mission and the vision of Soilborn, and how has it evolved since you started? Yeah. Well, the 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 original idea was just to put a farm in the city uh, and try to reconnect people with their food a bit more, right? So something centrally located where people live and work, where they could come and experience where food is grown, get their hands in the soil, get them excited about it. Um and and so pretty pretty basic intentions and in, from, from the get go and the property that we originally started on had a, a elementary school to the back it had a senior center to one side and so it had these elements where we could really connect with both youth and you know adults in the garden setting um, as we kind of got our foothold though we started to really develop a more comprehensive vision for the work and um, as it turns out what it really uh, the mission began to be focused on doing programs that connected, uh, help people to connect the dots between our food, our health, and the environment. So, you know, even though we worked with kids from an early age and we're doing more like school garden type programs, pretty soon we got into adult classes and then food access programs and really tried to start to weave those things together so that we created this full picture of what, um, you know, what you might consider more of like a, a, a health promoting food system, um, really trying to create a vision for that. And how long have you been there? How long has it been in existence? We started uh, in 2000 and it literally was um, myself and another uh, gentleman that I originally started with a guy named Marco Franciosa. Um, and it, uh, it, we literally put, we drove around because I, you know, being from Sacramento, I had my eyes on a few small pieces of, of property and um, we put in a note, we found one. Uh, so this, the first farm was at Morrison and Hurley Way in Carmichael. Um, it backed up to uh, Thomas Edison. Um, uh, it used to be Jonas Salk Middle School. And we put a note in the woman's mailbox. First, we climbed over the fence and dug around and and, uh, you know, to see if it was good soil. So so if I'm going to open a store, and I know what kind of store I'm going to open, yeah. I look at a space and I kind of know if it's going to work, right? Yeah. If it's a clothing store or a grow, whatever it is. So when you're opening a community sort of farm, what like what's the vision? Right? What are you looking for? We wanted, we wanted a farm that had, that was located uh, in, 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 a, in a pretty urban-centric location but that had the ability to directly um, sort of connect with, um, a, you know, the, the, the community. The community, yeah. So in this case, like- So we you had, wanted to be around people. We wanted to be around people. We wanted it to be, um, well, I mean, in order to grow food, it also had to have good soil. It couldn't be contaminated or, you know, full of trash. And how do you like figure that. that out? 
Well, that's where we, 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 you know, our background in agriculture did come in. I, I've done a, you know, I've been doing organic gardening. I did my first apprenticeship like 30 some odd years ago. Um, so I kind of knew something about soils. And so we did soil tests and looked at, you know, organic matter and weed pressure and all that kind of stuff. So make sure there was no obvious signs of, of contamination on the property. So that all checked out. Um, but, uh, you know, we didn't have any money. Um, to speak of. We were two young right. guys, right? So, um, you know, once we kind of assessed that the the, the soil and the property, <clears throat> excuse me, could support, you know, food production, then it was like, well, okay, what are the amenities around there, right? Can we easily connect with kids and adults and, and you know, how, you know, how busy is this location to really kind of create some excitement? And the one that we stumbled on originally had all of those components, but it was tiny. It was a Three acre little right. piece of, of ground. So in comparison, what are you now? The the new side's fifty five acres. Oh wow, that's yeah. well, considerably it, bigger. It's not new. It, yeah, it was a big, uh, it was a big leap for us right. for sure to go from three acres to fifty five. Yeah, yeah. It was a big, wow. steep learning curve for sure. It's going from a little tiny corner store to a giant Walmart. Yeah, yeah, and and what's you know, as the story goes, you know, when we first started the project in two thousand. Um, you know, we weren't sure if we even cut out to be farmers, right? I mean, we, we liked it, but we've never run a business and, and uh, you know, committed our, you know, days, long hours to this. And so we didn't know if it was going to really, you know, feed our soul, so to speak. But pretty quickly, we we figured out that it was, it, it, it did, you know, yeah. feel good to us. And, and it is a business, right? It is. Yeah. Originally, yeah. we were a for-profit, little for-profit farm. We didn't make any money. Um, but pretty quickly we realized that we, you know, there was, there was a, a opportunity to do more with it. And that's when I met the third co-founder, a woman named Janet Zeller back in 2002. And at that point we started hatching plans for really turning right. Soilborn into a nonprofit. So right. we went from Soilborn Farms to Soilborn Farms, Urban Agriculture and Education Project. Which is what you are now. Which is what we are, yeah. Where did Soilborn Farms come from? How does that? Or is that well, you just came up with it? it, yeah, it, it well, it was based on the, you know, our our belief that that taking care of the earth and, and, uh, and really valuing soil, right, as this, you know, really important resource, um, what needed to be central to our discussion, right? Like we need to take care of these really rare soils and 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 nurture them. And if we do that, then they'll they'll take care of us, produce healthy foods, and then healthy people, and and so on. So on your mission statement on your website, you have four very clear points, four goals, four very clear goals. So maybe we could just very quickly touch on each one. Sure. I'll tell you what they are. So the first one, local organic food production. Yeah. So um, we were the first certified organic farm in Sacramento County. Um, you were? Not. Yep. Wow. Uh, and now they're everywhere, right? Now they're everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, back in 2000, a lot's happened over the last yeah. 23 years. We were the really the only urban farm that was certified organic. We, we became certified in 2002 through California Certified Organic Farmers. And so... We really wanted, you know, there was lots of agriculture in Sacramento, but there wasn't a lot going on in terms of local food production, right? Focused on, you know, the restaurants and the stores and and, and certainly um, there were some farmer's markets, but a lot of the farmer's market growers 
were not organic and they were coming from sort of the outskirts of Sacramento. So we really wanted to, to, to put energy in building a local food system where the eater is really connected with the farmer. And, you know, our best, our, we felt like the, the urban farm would be a good strategy to, to sort of be that interface. So that was, that was number one. And, you know, that has been a driving, you know, emphasis of our work from day one, growing good certified organic fruits and vegetables, feeding our community. Um, and in fact, this year, we, you know, after 23 years, we're finally, our food is, is uh, going to be going directly to the school lunch program. Wow. In this case, it'll be going to Sac City Unified School District, and then we're working on Folsom Cordova too. Wow, and we're going to get into all of that. But yeah. the second one is community education. Yeah. So well, if if you if you ask what is the what is the the, the primary sort of uh, uh, pulse of Soilborn, it, it is that we are an educational organization, um, and so it's like uh, we what we first started with was. Uh, we're doing direct programming with kids in the garden. Um, in fact, the very first grant that we got was with Kaiser Permanente, and they had never funded any type of garden-based learning um, programs ever in Sacramento. And so we had to uh, work through a, this program that they did called Healthy Eating, Active Living. And so we had to put pedometers on the kids and prove that gardening was actually physically demanding. And it you did? Good for the yeah. kids. Yeah, we had to come up with all kinds of creative ways to kind of show that like this is a this is an opportunity to really build health um, for kids. Um, and so we started working with kids in the K through six grade level. Um, and then from there, we started adding middle school and high school programming. Um, but education, you know, in the sense of, of teaching people not only where their food comes from, but we really learned pretty quickly that, you know, our community and communities around the country and around the world have changed in terms of their relationship with food. They right. weren't, you know, participating in growing their own food. They weren't, uh, we, we were really, we're seeing this whole idea of the fast food nation and people weren't in the kitchen and they weren't, um, really didn't have uh, uh, some of those historic skills we've had in terms of how we grow and feed our bodies. And, and so pretty quickly, we're like, we could grow a lot of food, but if we don't figure out a way to educate people right. as, as an organization, we're, we're never going to make any And progress. later on, I'm going to ask you about the various programs that you do. Yeah. Um, then the next one is Food Access for All, which is pretty self-explanatory. But how was that a goal mission? Um, the, I mean, the, 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 the idea would be that, I mean, obviously a small farm can't grow food for everybody. Right. But, but we really wanted to promote the idea that as a community, we really need to focus on getting high quality food to our the, the people in the community, but particularly our most underserved right. residents. Right. And that so we just really were right. trying to beat that drum. You know? And the last one is my favorite because it sounds so relaxing. Reconnect with the land. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I'm an environmentalist first and foremost. And so my, you know, um my place of 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 um spiritual you know, and, um, you know, healing was, was being outside and being in nature and, and, you know, with this fast paced world that we live in and, you know, being on social media and computers and, uh, we, we really felt like we, the garden could be that place where people could come and just sort of decompress right. and get outside. And I remember the first time I went to, to Soilborn, you drive down Coloma and the hustle and bustle, then you turn 
And then you go down the road and boom, you're like in the middle of the country right there with all if, the fields that you have. It feels that way, yeah. So sure. we're on a radio podcast. So we're going to give people a visual. We're going to let their imaginations run wild. Yeah. Give us a tour of Soulbold Farms when you come in. Give us a tour. We come in, we drive in, yeah, and take it from there. Well, it would it would be useful uh, to to compare what it looked like in the right. early days sure, yeah, compared yeah. to what it did today. Right. Uh, but when you when you first come into the property now, what you experience is we have kind of a formal driveway that you come in, and uh, and a, a, a a parking lot that has some environmental features, oak trees and native plants. So it doesn't really feel like a normal parking lot, in my opinion. And we have some cool environmental features to it where we capture water and redirect it to the creek. And um, we, we actually, our planted spaces in the parking lot have herbs and flowers and stuff that we harvest from. Um, and then as you make your way in, you'll begin to observe, um, a, there's an upper sort of footprint where all of our buildings are located, our barn, we're just getting ready to build a new animal barn, our office. There's a caretaker house where I live. We have a schoolhouse, which is our indoor classroom. We have a commercial kitchen. Um, and then all the landscape spaces where we have our home garden and our youth garden and different demonstration spaces for um, both edible um, and medicinal and native plants. So on the backside of our office is the California Native Plant Society has a plant nursery there too. So there's a lot of sort of landscape and buildings that you would, would feel a lot like what you experience in the urban environment. But then surrounding that um, is a whole network of fields and orchards and restored creek that really is the larger farm landscape. So, you know, we, we it, our, the farm as you kind of make your way, you'd, you'd, you'd initially come to about five acres of vegetable fields um, and some mixed orchard. Um, and just in the distance, you would see the bike trail because we're on mile 15 of the American River bike trail. So just past that's the uh, the river, and there's a sweet little swimming hole down there. Oh, there um, is. Uh -huh, yeah. A good good fishing spot. Um, and then the uh, west uh, side of the farm is is bifurcated by um, a big restored creek that has beaver and the salmon and the steelhead and all kinds of cool critters in there now. Um, and, and then we have a large expanse that most people actually don't see because it, it, the property kind of bends around to the very back levees. And so there's a large, you know, 10 acres or so of pasture um, because historically and, and soon we, you know, we've had animals on the farm, cattle, sheep, pigs, chickens, um, things of that nature. They'll be coming back soon. Um, and so it really looks like a farm now. It does, yeah. Yeah. No, I... With, with some really cool ecology. That's not what it looked like when we got no. there, though. Yeah. It was a disaster. Let's not forget the store. You have a store where you sell produce. I, I remember buying stuff. And That's right. That's it's right. like it's something else when you – because I'm a big vegetable person. Yeah. And I bought a bunch of vegetables, and whoa, what a difference. We have we have a farm stand. We have yeah. a greenhouse and garden shop and plant tree right. nursery. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot to see. There's yeah, lots of little no, nooks. No, for sure. It was, it was – it definitely was very surprising to me. Yeah. How many people – work at Soulborn and what kind of jobs do they do approximately uh, there's about 40 people on the payroll um right now you've got 40 people on the payroll yeah but ha half of those are teens so one of our biggest wow. you know employee base are we do a lot of job training with teens okay. in our community a lot of them come from cordova high school um as young as 13 wow that's really cool and yeah. you pay them 
We do. Yeah, we do. They work in our kitchen and in the in the fields and the gardens. Um, they help with summer camp um, and the youth program. So yeah, they're they're infiltrated, and we're we're continuing to expand that year over year. Um, but the 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 mix of of full time uh, permanent staff would be you know we have our administrative team um, that helps with our grants and and you know um, the back end of all of our sort of education and food production programs. Um, and then we have our farmers, um, which I oversee. Um, we have a, a grant writer, and um, and then we have our education team. Well, everybody on the team is an educator, but we have core educators that teach our kids, and then we have some educators that work with um, teaching, uh, you know, adult classes. Like, you know, in normal years, we're teaching 170 different types of classes, from gardening to meditation to healthy cooking, you know, using medicinal and culinary herbs. And if that. I'm coming there for a class, that's how you make your, how you derive your income. I would pay for that class, right? Our income is pretty mixed. I mean, yes, but we do fee-for-service programs as well as grant-funded right. programs. So if right. you're coming from a low-income family or, you know, underserved, um, you know, school, then we try to cover right. grants and donations right. to, to, to make those trips so, for free. For the vegetable lovers listening, like me, yep. so tell us some of the vegetables that you grow. What are the crops that you grow? Yeah, we are probably our our biggest vegetable crop is tomatoes. So we do we do pretty good tomatoes, um, but soon it, that's going to be supplanted by uh, greens. So we grow a lot of greens, in particular lettuce. Uh, we just put up uh, ten uh, field tunnels where we can grow lettuce year round. So in the summer they get shade cloth on them. In the summer they get plastic over them. So they're kind of like a, a greenhouse of sorts. Um, so lettuce and tomatoes are two big ones, but we, we grow many varieties of lettuce, many varieties of tomatoes. And then, you know, depending on the season, you'd see, you know, as you, in the spring, you'd th see things like, you know, beets and carrots and turnips and radishes and and broccoli and kale and wow. all that. Um, and then summer, we switch to peppers and tomatoes and squash. And then we transition back in the into fall crops as well. So it's a good mix. And yeah. then we have our trees. So peaches are probably right. our biggest wow. stone fruit. So you have fruit as well. Oh, yeah. We've got about 10 acres of, of orchard, um, about six acres of veggies, um, about 10 acres of grassland um, for the animals. Um and then we're working on a three-acre um, planting of oak and elderberry, which are meant to be harvested um, for medicine and and for food. And the animals are for what? The animals are for multiple things. One is the visiting public love animals, right? Yeah. So that's educationally they're important from that respect. But um, we historically have used them. I mean, this kind of goes back to what we – came to at the ranch it was it was really in bad shape not only the buildings but the the overall farm landscape it was just fields of star thistle and lots of in, invasive weeds that made it really difficult for us to grow fruits and vegetables so we used the animals to come in and begin to transition from sort of really you know invasive weeds like star thistle to you know really high productive soils um, and then so they serve that purpose um, where they we rotate them through the whole farm and they 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 eat weeds and they fertilize and and um, and and then historically we also 
uh, did some like wool production with sheep. We wow. did some meat production. Um, and moving forward, the a lot of the animals will actually be animals that the kids from Cordova High School's Ag Academy will be stewarding those animals, and they'll take them to the state fair and end up selling them. Um, you know, at the, when, when they're um, you know once they kind of go through their awards competitions and stuff like that. So they serve a variety of purposes. Um, but you know, soil-borne farms are if our key is to build yeah, healthy yeah. soils. Animals can really be a, an important part of that. So what are some of the sustainable practices that you practice? Well, as I mentioned, we're certified organic. Yeah. Right? So we don't use any chemical herbicides, pesticides, um, or anything of that nature. And it really is um, something that we're continuing to learn. I didn't learn farming from my grandma or grandpa. I've had to learn it from, you know, mentors. On the job. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but we're, we are making a lot of progress on this. So we do like soil moisture monitoring. We plant crops specifically to rejuvenate, um, and build organic matter in the soil. They're called cover crops. Um, we do crop rotation. So we're really trying to mix up plant families and, and, uh, rooting depths and, and, uh, heavy feeder and light feeder crops. Um, we, uh, do a lot of additions of of um, organic matter. So cover crops um, are one. So we grow crops and then we incorporate those back into the soil. Um, but with them, we also make and buy lots of really high quality compost, which is basically just decomposed plant material. And we put that into the system. Um, and And then if you looked at the overall farm, you would see that there's a lot of features that um, – where we're not growing anything except um, building habitat for um, beneficial organisms. So we want beneficial insects to feed on insects that eat our crops. We have habitat for birds that prey on harmful, you know, insects that we don't want out there. So bluebirds, uh, owls and hawks that are hunting ground squirrels. Wow. We have a lot of ecological features really to, to really diversify ecology on the farm to kind of create balance in that ecosystem, which is a really cool thing because when yeah. we first got there, there was not a whole lot of life on that farm. And let's not forget that all of this happens in the middle of Raja Cordova, <laughs> it's, it's right. right in the middle of the city. Yeah, if you come out there, you'll 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 be amazed, particularly in the morning and evenings, there is a, an abundance of life out there. And, you know, you like you said, you come down Chase Drive past the high school and the community center and you turn on down the drive and you get into the farm and all of a sudden yeah it's gone it's yeah. there's just yeah a lot of life happening right. out there so we're going to talk a lot more about soulborn farms but first as is a tradition on this show we're going to get to know sean harrison so we're going to get to know all about you so let's start off with where were you born tell us about your parents because parents are very influential you know yeah. and where you grew up and all that kind of stuff yeah i was uh i was born in ranch cordova you were, uh, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, lived in a a few different places till I was about five, uh, and um, and my parents were born in Rancho Cordova, or they they lived there for most of their life. Actually, they were born in Tahoe, um, and uh, and they lived over off of Ambassador. Um, my father, my mother, you know, they all married young and met each other. You know, kids growing up on the same street, they all. Had, had babies and and uh, raised families um, 
And, uh, but when I was five, I moved over just across the river, kind of over by Ansel Hoffman in the Carmichael area. So, you know, as the crow flies, I haven't gone very far. I've been, you know, within about two miles of, wow. of where we're physically located now. And then my wife um, also grew up in Rancho Cordova. She's a Cordova High School graduate. Um, her dad lived literally, and she, right down the street from the farm. Um, and uh, her, my uncles, her brothers had experiences working on the farm, interacting with the farmers. So there's a lot of roots there. Um, and then when my w wife and I, um, you know, met, we bought our first house in, in Rancho Cordova. Um, and uh, and then and then about six years ago, we actually moved on to the farm. So and what did your parents do? Uh, my mom was actually she worked for the state. Um, and um, my the father that I grew up with was a, a my stepfather. He was a, a, a lawyer for Caltrans. Um, and like I said, we, we the house that I grew up in was was kind of backed up to the American River. Um, so, you know, like th that home environment um, was was pretty influential for sort of my love of the natural world because we were down at the river every day. Uh, but uh, yeah, my mom um, was this sort of big hearted. She is she's still alive. So as my stepfather, my biological father passed. Um, but uh, really kind of a big hearted, kind woman um, got me to 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 care to, to really care about things, I yeah. think, you yeah. know, and um, and then my stepfather was really into, you know, like camping and 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 so I kind of, you know, we'd always go on family trips to Tahoe or, you know, up to, or to Yosemite. And so those experiences really shaped. I, I, I fell in love with yeah. the natural world in right. a lot of different ways. They also let us roam free, right. like a lot of kids back right, then, right. right? So I was down fishing and hunting and biking on the river pretty much every day. Yeah. Yeah. And where did you go to high school? I graduated from uh, El Camino High School, um, which is in Carmichael. And uh, in, I was class of uh, 1990. And were you a good high school student? I was a good student. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I had, I had fun too. Yeah. Um, and then I went, uh, went to, did my undergraduate work at UC Santa Barbara. Um, and that's where I did my first apprenticeship in um, farming there. And then you ended up in Davis, right? Yep. Um, uh, right after Santa Barbara, I, um, I took a year off and did some, fun stuff, river guide and worked at a ski resort, Heavenly Valley. Um, but then um, I did an apprenticeship in ecological horticulture at UC Santa Cruz. And then from there, I did graduate work at UC Davis in, in ag and community development. So at high school, what did Sean Harrison want to be when he grew up? Mm. That's a really good question. I, I, th I, I don't think I knew. No. I, all, all I knew is that I really liked being outside. Right. Um, and, and it wasn't a, very soon thereafter, I caught the bug right. for urban farming. Because uh, Davis, you got a very fancy degree. I saw it today. MS in? In international ag development. Yeah. Yeah. And I was in the master's program for community development as well. Um, I didn't finish that one, but yeah, it is a, it, it was a, it was a good fit for me because at that time I already knew I was going to start Soilborn. Oh, you did? I did. Yeah. So in 97... I did a, an apprenticeship in ecological horticulture. That's where I met the other co-founder. Right. And we decided we were going to start a farm in the okay. city. So then I went back to graduate school 
And he went and worked on farms around the world. He did this program called Working on Organic Farms. And then we came back and started it after I finished. So you've been doing this all your working life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Apart from the ski resort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's go back. So sustainable agriculture is at the core of, of your farm principles. How do you ensure that the the farm practices align? How do you keep it going? Is there a strictness to it or there is a strictness to it. it there's also a, a sort of a feel factor to it. Um, the, the strictness is, you know, in certified organic farming, you're, you have a, a organic systems management plan. So our certifier, which is California certified organic farmers, which, you know, all those um, certified agencies are governed by the federal government. And the, so when you see certified organic, someone is actually certifying that. That's correct. There's and they a third come in, party. They come in? They come in every year and they um, they check up on us. Um, we have to send them reports. and um, But yeah, an inspector comes out and checks on all of our stuff wow. and pulls out the books and we look at all of our records. You know, we have to do everything that we buy. All the inputs have to be approved materials. So it's pretty, you know, Strict. it's pretty onerous, yeah. you know, process for sure. So that's kind of the the, the, the detailed side of it. But then the feel part of it is really about like making an observation as a land steward, learning that skill of uh, uh, to really observe what's 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 working and what's not. Are we creating more life? Are we creating more healthier plants? And those become sort of our compass as you get good at observing those things. So as a farm, do you contribute to the local economy? Like, do you, what do you do with everything? Do you sell it? Do you give it away? Yeah, we 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 do both actually. Um, the combination. I mean, I was actually sitting down trying to think about this the other day, but um, and, and at some point I'll do the analysis. But I would suspect that over, you know, the twenty three years that we've been in business, um, through the combination of work investing in that place, and then the economic activity that's flown from it, it's probably in excess of thirty or forty million dollars to the economy. Wow. From just a little farm that started wow. on three acres, um, on a on a week to week year to basis. Well, when you say the economy, do you keep it within Rancho or the wider economy? Our economy ha stretches. You know, I would say, you know, I mean, because Rancho Cordova used to be, you know, unincorporated right. of Sacramento County. So I, we focus on Sacramento County, but most of our business activity is within, I would say. 15 miles okay. of the farm. So it's pretty, yeah. Pretty okay. pretty local, yeah. yeah, for sure. You make it all sound very rosy, very appealing, <laughs> but I'm sure there are challenges. So tell us about some of the challenges that you faced while establishing Soulborn, and then how did you overcome them? Because there must yeah. have been challenges. Oh, there's there's challenges every day. Yeah, I mean, farming alone is a, is a challenging right. occupation, right? Everything's right. out of your control, right? Right. Um, but running a farm and a non as a nonprofit brings its own special challenges. Right. Uh, you know, raising money and and I mean the we've we we weathered uh, one of the biggest recessions um, a, as a nonprofit. Um, we've weathered COVID. Um, you know, there's there's been a variety of of big events like that where it was a struggle as a small business to survive, let alone as a nonprofit because as the economy sort of ebbs and flows. Um, you know, donations dry up and and 
grants uh, can be fickle. Right. Um, you know, so well, grants certainly dried up during COVID because everything was diverted to COVID. That's right. That's yeah. right. How, did COVID affect you? Oh, it it was it it hurt us um, tremendously. Yeah, I mean, we had to. It was basically full stop on all of our education it programs. Was, yeah, we had to transition everything to online. I mean, one of the biggest programs that we run, our youth program, is as are our adult classes, is relying on on in person education. Right. You know, so. Programming at school stopped, you know, uh, or at least in person. So we had to we had to transition everything to you know Zoom and online classes. Develop a different style of curriculum. Um, you know, a lot of our educators we actually shifted over to our farm team and tried to just grow as much food as we could. Um, and then fortunately, because our property is owned by the public, I don't know if I've mentioned that it's it's permanently protected. And owned by Sacramento County. It's part of the American River Parkway. So with the help of the city of Rancho Cordova and um, Sacramento County, as well as a funder through the Wildlife Conservation Board, we actually accessed quite a bit of funds to do some really big renovations on the farm. And so, you know, during COVID and right previous to it, we had a bunch of stuff set in motion to try to really begin to renovate that property. That's where our parking lot and driveway and right. commercial kitchen. That all happened during COVID. Greenhouses. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of that happened. Yeah, we opened the film office right at the beginning of COVID. We opened in January 2020. And obviously March of 20 was, you know, everything shut. And that's when we built the theater. Right. <laughs> like the, the, uh, the, That was our COVID project. The, the challenge was that the opportunity was that we had resources to do the work, but it didn't pay us to, to renovate right. the property. It paid for the renovation. So... We had to get very creative, and um, and I think you know the other thing I would say just about challenges is that um, you know I mean running a nonprofit farm and education center uh, is not the most lucrative uh, career, so to speak. So we've had but to, satisfying, very satisfying, yeah. you know, and um, needed, yeah. Um, but you know you have to get creative, yeah. And um, and so there's you know been stressful years worrying about cash flow and right. can you make payroll? And, right. No, 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 I've um, been there. Trust me. Yeah. So I'm very interested in edu. You know, we do educational programs here, film related. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested always to hear other people's. And I know we've touched a little bit, but let's go into a little more. Like anybody listening, and they think, "Wow, this is really cool." Tell us about your programs, classes, you know, educational programs. I guess they're all educational, but educational as much as educating kids, for instance, mm -hmm. and then classes for someone like me who wants to do it as a hobby. Right. So touch on the, uh, some of those. Yeah, that myself and the other co-director um, Janet Zeller, we spend an inordinate amount of time dreaming up um, educational activities uh, to really do one thing in particular, and that is to design classes, whether it be for youth or adults, um, that really teach skills. So they're meant to be very tactile, hands-on classes. So if you were a kid, um, which is our biggest program, uh, you would, you'd be in the garden, you'd be down at the creek, you'd be in the kitchen, um, and obviously, depending how old you are, those experiences become more complex. Um, so there's the traditional sort of field trips where kids are just coming and experiencing the farm and doing a little bit of gardening. Um, that happens also at school sites throughout Sacramento. We have a big school garden program. Um, but, you know, whether it's during school sort of field trips 
or after school field trips with homeschool groups. Um, we just uh, are wrapping up um, our, our summer camps. So we do summer camps every year. And then, as I mentioned, um, classes also, you know, at least on the youth side, um, are really geared towards teen empowerment and job training. So we do a lot of instruction in that realm. Cordova High School is our biggest partner, but we work with all the schools in Rancho Cordova. And then if you were an adult, um, you would be taking hands-on classes uh, in a similar, you know, you know, the intention, which is learn how to grow your own food, right. learn how to use, you know, more fresh fruits and vegetables in the kitchen, get in the kitchen, uh, learn how to make medicine with plants, um, and, and and overall, like, really learn how to care for the earth. Steward basic stewardship skills. So I have a, a backyard. And it's a nice backyard. Um, I can come to you and you can teach me how to grow tomatoes in my backyard. That's the idea. I mean, yeah. even though we're a fairly sizable, you know, working farm, <laughs> the intention is to get, you know, this uh, city producing lots more food, right? We call it the edible city. And so our primary purpose is to get folks like you and, you know, all of our neighbors interested in growing food, whether it's on a... If you've got limited space, you're growing a, a tomato plant in a pot or yeah. in your windowsill right. and, and, or at a community garden or your backyard or your front yard. Um, we have a whole program called Harvest Sacramento. We were planting, trying to get more people to plant fruit trees in the urban environment too. So that is, you know, if you, one big motivation is like, <clears throat> let's get more food, you know, instead of lawns and, you know, landscapes that are totally unproductive. Let's get more productive, you know, places where we live and work. And then do you collaborate with local businesses, organizations, the local government, the city, uh, to promote the sustainable agriculture model and community engagement? And if you do, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, we, we have, we're a very collaborative organization. We have partners in a, a variety of, you know, the you think about stores and restaurants and, local government, we, we work with a diversity of partners sort of in, in that in that whole arena and other nonprofits as well. Um, so, you know, each each sort of partnership has different aims. Like, you know, you think of someone like the Sacramento Natural Foods Co-op, they're trying to get more healthy food into the community. And so, you know, our food goes to the co-op as an example. And then co-op members take classes at the farm. Um, as, as one example of like, right. Or you think of the Cordova Food Locker right here in town, right? We, you know, have historically, you know, directed food to them or to Sacramento Food Bank and Family Services uh, before them. And that will be a focus moving forward as well. Um, and, you know, so, so, you know, when you think about these, you know, relationships and the bigger picture, there's also a, a piece of this where... Um, We've, you know, particularly myself, has put a lot of time and energy into helping to develop a vision for what a health-promoting food system would look like. So I sit on a board called Valley Vision. Um, I also was, we were the lead agency for a 10-year initiative with the California Endowment in South Sacramento. So we essentially have helped to architect, you know, um, a, a, a visions and, and specific, you know, legislation ordinances to promote um, more local food production and, and access to healthy food. So, you know, probably the one I'm most proud of is um, in partnership with Valley Vision is the Food Systems Action Plan. So it's a six-county um, plan that 
really, you know, lays out goals for, for where we are in terms of a health promoting food system and where we want to be. Right. And I, I feel like those are, you know, those are, are big things that we're always trying to, you know, push the envelope on. And you mentioned the food locker. The food locker is spitted distance. Right down you. the street. Yeah. yeah. So food security is a pressing issue in many regions today. And here in Ranto, the community food locker has seen a huge demand. Like they're, yeah. you know, they told me the night, I've seen it. We're making a documentary right now about the food locker. So we're there and I see the demand. You know, it's incredible. The, they saw 400 people in two hours. Yeah. Um, do you work with them? Do you give them? Because one thing that I'm very impressed with them, because I always had a vision of a food locker. You go, you get rice and beans and pasta, right? And maybe some water. Yeah. But that's not the case with them. They they offer vegetables, potatoes. I've seen all sorts of things there. It's amazing. Yeah. So if you were to have a glut of excess, do you give them? Is that is that part? Are they on your radar, or how does it work with with, for instance, a, your own food locker, the Rancho Cordova food locker? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I would start by saying that one of the first partners that we worked with really intensively was Sacramento Food Bank and right. Family Services. We helped yeah. them to run their garden. Right. We we helped them to uh, we did cooking demonstrations at their mobile markets, and then um, and then the the food locker was was sort of, you know, evolving as new leadership has come in come and so historically like when we had you know extra food we would send what we could over to the food locker but with with the sort of their this next chapter of the food locker that partnership is going to become much more robust because um they have a field behind them and she tells me she meaning Carrie Johnson who's yeah. the director that they're going to be growing food there are you involved with that process with her? So, so she and I are having that discussion as we speak. Um, I think first and foremost, if Soilborn has extra food, we would either harvest it for them, or we've also done it a few times where she's brought her volunteers over, and then they'll do harvesting oh, wow. in the field. Yeah. So, you know, we've had a decent amount of food flowing that way, and that will continue. Um, but if if and when they decide to activate the land at the food locker, um, that my role that I've, you know, um, told Carrie, I will, will, will support her on is helping them to really think through what that, right. how, how that can work. Yeah. And what could they grow there? Do you know that plot of land? Uh, I'm vaguely familiar. Yeah, with it's it. right yeah. behind them. Like what, I mean, like so I'm, I'm looking, you know, you look at it, what could they grow? Is it potatoes? Is it beans, sprouts? Like I, I probably wouldn't, I probably <laughs> wouldn't suggest, uh, <laughs> potatoes. No. Um, I mean, one of the things I'm going to encourage them to plant there is a small orchard, right? That's an it's a long term investment, um, and you know, orchards can produce a lot of fruit. So there would be that, um, and then um, depending on what the, sort of the, the their volunteer base looks like would would dictate, um, you know, what type of vegetable to grow. But you know, I think the issue is you know it's a it's a labor-intensive occupation. Yeah. They could grow pretty much almost anything they want. It's like we can grow everything in Sacramento, you know, with the exception of like mangoes and avocados wow. or what have you. So but broccoli, yeah, sprouts. Se seasonally, they, they it would be just like any other small market garden. You know, you'd shift from, you know, uh, root crops and leafy greens in the in the you know fall, winter, and spring, and then you transition to things like tomatoes and peppers and squash and all that kind of stuff. And I think 
you know, the the, th- the thing that that I've always, you know, cautioned food banks on and, and other organizations where, the, you know, like growing food is not their core competency is to really think, you know, smart about the what their goal is. If the goal is to educate, you know, the folks that they're feeding, then, then, you know, understand that, that that's your goal, right? If you're trying to f- supplement some of your food program, that's another goal. But maybe a good thing if they do get this plot of land, maybe the volunteers, the people who harvest it and grow it should be the people that need it. So maybe the clients come in, the ones that are able to, of course. The ones that come are in, able to, yeah. Come in and work the land, so to speak, and in return, they get fresh food. I mean, you know, the idea of, you know, everybody's heard the saying, if you can teach someone how to fish, right. you know. Um, so, yeah, there is there is a, a clear benefit to having uh, folks get out there. The, the issue would be, you know, these are folks that have a lot of pressures in their right. life. And, right. You know, so if there's folks that have ample time, right. they're retired, I would right. say get them out there, right, right. grow the food, and, right. and, and then bring bring clients into the, the space as you as you can. Yeah. So here in Rancho, and I've certainly witnessed it, we're very lucky that we have a very good city government. You know, the city of Rancho Cordova runs this city very well, in my opinion. Do you work closely with the city? Um, are they are they supportive of you? Is there even a relationship? You know, I mean, obviously they can't have relationships with everyone, but I would imagine that you probably do, right? We have a, a really strong relationship yeah. with the city, yeah, from the v- very the beginning. I mean, I think they had city head in two thousand or right around two thousand, yeah, right. And then we started engaging in the conversation to get access to the farm in two thousand five, and they were at the table at that point. So we've kind of started the, the 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 conversation for the vision of what the farm could be in partnership with the city from the very beginning and um the the city council members the you know the the um the, the staff leadership um have been um fantastic and fully supportive and um i mean because we want to create a community legacy in, right. in ranch cordova it's a it's you think about you know where the farm is located there's a combination of really cool, you know, you've got the high school and the middle school and the community center in Hagen Park and the right. river and the farm. I mean, we consider that a healthy living corridor, right? right? So, you know, um, I think they've really been interested in helping us to succeed and dream and vision. And then the, you know, the community enhancement fund, uh, I mean, without it, there's yeah. key programming and infrastructure we just could not have i think we're lucky here that because the city manager cyrus he was here for 20 years so it's very consistent i think two or uh, two or three even of city well two for sure david sander linda budge have been there since the beginning that's right michael runner he's a city manager today you know he was economic development he took a stint in stockton now he's back as city manager that's right it's a very consistent um, leadership there, which I think helps. I, if there's one thing, just from all of my work over the last 23 years, that I could point to as 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 being a key indicator of success, is having consistency in leadership. And Rancho Cordova has had that for sure. You know, so the relationships that I've been able to build as a resident and business owner, and someone that really wants to have invest in my community, uh, we couldn't have been done if I didn't have those right. those caring, right. you know, invested 
And you deal with the city manager's office? Who would be your point of contact there? I mean, Cyrus was one of our our, our big proponents, but right. you know, I'm on first name basis with all the city council yeah. members. And Micah, like you said, was here before right. and now he's back as city manager. And so, you know, Albert Stricker, I mean, there's there, there it just depends on what we need and I mean they're all willing to 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 support right you know and we're on first name basis and they come to the farm all the time and they send you know the 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 different programs that orient new residences we come out and set up things at the farm and it the farm has become a central part of of the Rancho Cordova experience yeah and you know I mean I credit that to the the leadership, right? And Rancho Cordova has a, a, a hometown feel, even though we've got a lot of jobs here, which people don't realize how many people this area employs. But it has retained a hometown feel where you there are relationships, and 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 in a type of investment that where you can, I feel like I could go and talk to somebody, and and yeah. be heard. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now it's time for silly questions. My <laughs> silly questions. Okay. So organic versus not organic. So I want to tell you my opinion. So I go to the supermarket and I buy organic. I take it home. You got to use it within a couple of days because others are going to go off very quickly. Is am I right in that? Well, I mean, organic food, or at least in in the local uh, local uh, type uh, version of organic agriculture, we're growing fruits and vegetables that are are not meant to be shipped and stored for long periods of right. time. They're full of flavor and fresh and nutritious. So if I go to Sprouts, for instance, or Whole Foods, mm -hmm. to the produce section, yep. what is the difference there between, say, Safeway and Rayleigh's? What would the difference be? Is it that it's more Safeways and Rayleigh's are more commercial, so it's not all, you know, it's it's mass-produced quicker that's what i mean by silly questions yeah because you know why is sprouts and whole foods known for their produce section versus safeways which is good you know but it's yeah. not the same i mean they're all, they're all honestly making headway into much more shelf space for organic um but you know they're such big stores um, and that they have to work with bigger producers to get the volume and consistency in. Um, and so, you know, like Safeway, you know, is, I would say, on the order of corporate, you know, it's probably the furthest out there. You know, Rayleigh's is a local store. Right. Sprouts is a definitely more community-based, right? We work with Sprouts actually quite a bit. Do you supply Sprouts? Um, we don't supply Sprouts, but Sprouts funds us our education program okay. and our school garden work. And so there's a relationship there. And um, and and I actually aspire to get produce. We've had produce in Rayleigh's before. Um, and I actually hope to get it over to the new Sprouts store too. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, generally speaking, there's a found all organic food that you get has to, to fall within basic standards of the Organic Food Act, so, right? So, like, a silly question again. Yeah. And we always have to have silly questions. They're not silly. Uh, <laughs> right. What? Tell me the difference between organic and not organic. What makes something organic versus not organic? Well, the, the number one thing is that is that you're not using um, synthetic chemical right. so pesticides, pesticides, herbicides, yeah. and fertilizers. So when you see the plane swoop down, spraying, that's pesticides, that right? That would be a pesticide and or, that is or to keep, that is to keep, make it last longer? Well, the pesticide is because you've got some 
pest outbreak and you've got oh it's to kill pests correct okay right or an herbicide you're you know you're trying to you know eliminate some invasive weed or what have you with a with a chemical spray so first and foremost we live in a very toxic environment and and you know we're trying to drive the industry towards less and less toxic techniques and so organic is one answer to that right um so that's one big big part of organic but the other part of it is that um is that or organic is really moving towards more of a regenerative model so it's the idea that we're trying to build um steward a piece of of land in particular the soil and and the water and the air uh in a way where year over year our practices actually improve that system um and allow it to be more sustainable more productive um, plants are photosynthesizing at a higher level. Um, we're feeding soil organisms. We're creating more life um, versus in dominant, you know, conventional agriculture. They're really growing large monocrops and relying on these fairly chemically intense system. So now let's talk about climate change. Um, that poses, I would imagine, a significant challenge to agriculture. It's getting hotter and hotter. And I can attend, I live in Palm Springs for many, many years, and yeah. every year it's hotter and hotter and hotter, where today it's normal to be 120 in Palm Springs. Wow. It's just normal. Yeah. When I first moved there 20 years ago, if it was 108, everybody was freaking out. You know, oh my God, it's 108. Now, 120 is normal, yeah. which, so that to me is a problem. How do you adapt to climate change and um, do you adapt your practices to become more resilient to climate change? How, do you, how as a farmer, do you do that? Yeah, I mean, f farming is tough enough, and the weather weirding that's happening um, definitely makes it challenging, to say the least. I mean, we had, in my, obviously, you know, it's a short period of time, 23 years of farming. Um, we had our, our latest frost um, and a killing frost, like in, in April, right? Um, this April? Um, lat, we had 22? one this year, and then the previous year we had one. I think it might even have been been closer to May. And so, is I mean, that unusual for here? Very unusual. It is very unusual. Yeah, um, like the safe planting date in Sacramento historically has been right around March fifteenth. We'd plant tomatoes maybe April first because it's just kind of chillier. But we've never had a killing frost after at least that in memory. My memory. And a killing frost where it kills everything. Like if you've got all your peppers and tomatoes and squash and they're stuff done. in the ground, they're done. Yeah. Unless you put some And that's it, they're done. It's not like you can grow them again quickly, right? They're done for the year. Replant the whole things. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that that has happened multiple times wow. in the last several years. So in any event, the unpredictability that it has bring, whether it be hot or cold temperatures, has been very challenging. And so what we've been doing is really trying to um, incorporate a variety of practices that can can build a bit more resiliency in the system. So one thing, for example, I described this earlier is we've been uh, building tunnels in the fields, um, which we can we can lower the heat simply by putting a light shade cloth over those. And so we use less water, we get less sunburn on the plants. They can survive 110 degree days. Um, and then on the opposite side, we can grow crops year round because we can kind of protect them um, a bit more with a, a covering, like in this case, like a plastic covering. We're also adding soil moisture monitoring, um, where we are uh, adding um, uh, uh, basically like a whole system of plants that are take less water and less nutrients 
Um, so we're actually turning towards, you know, more California adapted plants um, with the idea that if we run into issues with water, then those plants will be productive still and will, you know, um, grow less things that are more water intensive. So as a farmer, what's worse, heat or cold? What's more damaging? Um, I, they're both damaging, but cold, um, you know, if I would say that one could wipe crops out. Heat, we can kind of protect them a little bit and plants kind of just tend to hunker down. But, you know, if the river went dry, then the heat would be, you know, right. we got to have water for sure. And are there any new trends that you're seeing in in um, sustainable agriculture? Is it Does it evolve? Is there new things yeah. that come up? Yeah, I, I, th I think one of the big trends, you know, let's not call it a trend. I think it's, you know, just uh, getting smarter is really looking at the way that we manage our soil ecosystem. So it used to be where the dominant practice was heavy tillage of the soil. And across the in the whole, whether you're in conventional or organic or somewhere in the middle, um, we're, we're really trying to get smarter about using less, tilling the soil less. So moving from heavy tillage to either low or no till, which we're transitioning to as a farm right now. Do you have machinery and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, yeah, tractors and... Yeah. I mean, our gardens are managed largely hand by hand, yeah. but our fields are managed with, yeah. with tractors and tractor implements. Yeah. Because I remember when I came there, I mean, you look out and it's, there's fields and oh, fields. It's, yeah, it's yeah. A big, it's a yeah. Big, it's a big property. <laughs> no, we, it was definitely... Uh, but, but we are, We, I mean, to, to your question about climate friendly, we're... We're just getting ready to buy our first electric tractor, um, uh, which you know will cut down on petroleum and um, and it you know be more energy efficient. So you know there are there is technology in right. the in the in the farming space that's in really improving yeah. quite a bit. And what are the future plans? Are there any future plans for you to expand or evolve in order to further fulfill what you do? Yeah. Well, um, we're. We're, we just submitted plans to the city for um, a joint use uh, animal barn facility with Cordova High School. Super excited about that. That means animals would come back on the farm and we'd have this really showcase animal um, sort of uh, center. And what kind of animals would that be? Uh, well, what is your hope for animals? The, the Ag Academy of Cordova High is limited, has been limited to small animals. So like chickens and rabbits in particular. The first animal that we'll bring back will be sheep. Um, but then depending on what the kids are interested in, that'll dictate whether we do goats or pigs or, you know, other uh, varieties of, of, of animals. Um, but there'll be some rescue animals as well. So we can teach the public about, you know, different different types of animals. Because you have chickens there now, right? We have some chickens, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've, um, and like I said, historically, we've and had chickens cattle. that give eggs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Um, we're also just really excited about... Um, the place as a whole. We're starting to, you know, it's taken us 16 years to get here, but we feel like we've kind of finally got the table set and moving forward, some of the facilities and, and things that we can demonstrate there and the, and the accessibility of the places, it's really going to take a jump in this next, you know, five or six years. And, you know, it, 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 I always say this to everybody, it's, this is going to be a world-class center for food, health, and the environment, a place you know, the last working farm on the Lower American River in the capital of California where we're getting people excited about local food and healthy eating and connecting with one another and the earth. And 
Um, so I, we hold that intention, and it's I, I, I can see it happening. Do you keep a track on how many people are coming? Do you know the numbers? Uh, it loosely, yeah. loosely, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's really hard to track, but we know that we work with about 20,000 people a year. Yeah. Um, and, and, and fairly hands-on yeah, yeah. direct that's ways. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. That's... Yeah. And most of the kids, honestly, from an early age in Rancho Cordova, every kid in, in Rancho Cordova almost comes on field trips to the farm. They do? So by the time they get to Cordova High, they, they've been through a lot of experiences oh, okay. in the garden and at the So farm. every school in Rancho has a program where they're going to end up with you at some time. That's, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Oh, I, I wouldn't say we hit that mark every year, but yeah, we're, we aspire to that for sure. Okay. Yep. So as we get to a close, I have just a few more questions, and then we go to our quick fire lightning round of questions. Okay. I hope you've listened to the show because otherwise you won't know what they are, but they're fun. So someone is listening to this show, and they're, but they're not here. They're in a town up north somewhere. And they think, wow, I want to start a sustainable, sustainable farming initiative. So give them some advice. Well, I think the biggest advice is, is come talk to someone that's right. done it. Right. Yeah. You know, figure out- what Come into apprenticeship with you. If you can, commit yeah. time into learning to really how to grow yeah. food. And I mean, we have a partner program- um, uh, with Center for Land-Based Learning. They're based in Yolo, and they do a, a fantastic farmer training program. Um, we've historically trained a lot of farmers through our through our uh, programming at Soilborn. So that's the big one right there. Um, the other is, you know, is to make sure that you, um, you know, you have the time and, and temperament to do it because it's hard. Right. It's really hard work, <laughs> you know? So I always believe if someone says, hey, how do you make a movie? Right, because it sounds great fun. You know, you make movies, you're with movie stars. I always start off by telling them the negatives of making a movie. There's a lot of negatives. Yeah. So what are the negatives? Well, it's a, I mean, small gardens, you know, not so much. But as you start to get in what I would what I would call a market garden or above, it's very labor intensive. Right. Right. I would imagine you got to be fit too, right? You got to you 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 got to be able to weather cold and yeah. hot weather right. and and get dirty and walk and a lot of steps. Walk a lot of steps, be prepared for failure. Um, you know, lots of frustrations but lots of joys as, you know from that work as well. Um, so start small. Yeah. Start small is my is is my if you if you haven't done it before. Right. Start small and find someone to help to right. mentor you. Right. Yeah. What has been the most rewarding aspect of your journey as the founder of Soulborn Farms? Well, I mean, it's certainly changed my life. Um, I feel much more connected to uh, place, um, the place that I was born in, um, and uh, and and I feel like a contributor to that place in terms of of really kind of you know creating a north star towards a, a healthier, more engaged, more community-friendly place to live and work. Um, so that that feels really good. I feel like I'm healthier yeah. as an individual, both yeah. spiritually yeah. and mentally and physically, right. for sure. I eat a lot better, yeah. for sure. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, bigger picture, um, it's been pretty exciting to be part of a, a, a larger sort of network of folks that um, are committing themselves to to really thinking about what long-term sustainability looks like. How do we feed ourselves as a community over time? How do we do that in a way that can be sustained and good for the earth 
and do that year over year, generation after generation. That type of long-term thinking to be part of that is pretty satisfying. And how long are you going to do this for? Like for me, for instance, I don't see this as a job, what I do. For yeah. me, I like doing it. It's not, you know, yeah. if I wanted to stop tomorrow, could I? Probably. But, you know, I like it. How long yeah. are you going to do this for? Uh, till I die. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. It's not like a job. It's, no, this it's is a passion. A, this is a passion. This is yeah. a life. Yeah. I mean, same thing with the other co-founder, Janet Zeller. I mean, we live and breathe this. It's, yeah. it's part of who I we are. I definitely understand that. Yeah. And finally, what are your hopes for the future? So now they told me I have a magic wand here and I could do whatever you want to do with Soulborn Farms. Yeah. What are your hopes? I, I want to see an edible city. I want to see where the vast majority of folks are are at least participating on some level in the growing of, of even if it's not food, plants. Because I think that simple act of, of coaxing a, a seed to grow and come out of the earth and then incorporate that somehow into your life, if it's just a flower for beauty, but certainly food or medicine, I think it's a very powerful transformative act. And I think if more people that could do it, it will lead to them caring for one another and the earth in a way that we can't imagine. So it's like, you know, most people live in the city now um, and they tend to be less and less connected with all of these sort of really elemental things, particularly, you know, you know, the way could you grow, grow Can you, do you have room for growth? I mean, could you double mm. if you wanted to? We, we will, we will likely only be, uh, you know, for the, for the rest of our lifespan as an organization on one farm, right? That fifty-five acres, but there's a lot that can happen there. That's right. that that is yet to come, right? Right. Lifetimes of right. work, really. So you can't grow in size, but you can grow in what you do in programming, outreach, yeah. uh, awareness building, education. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Sean, it's been a definite delight. We've been trying to get you here for I don't know how long since the podcast started. I was very impressed when I came to Salt Bulls. I'd heard about it. People have told me, and when I went there, and what really impressed me is what I bought all that stuff that I bought and took it home, and I thought, wow, that's what this is all about because yeah. the food was completely different to anything I've tasted. Saturdays are a pretty fun day. That's our public day. I yeah. think that's what you experienced. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. I'm glad. So let's get on to our quick fire questions, and these are fun questions. Um, so we'll just jump right into it. So what is one word others would use to describe you? Passionate, I would say. What is one word that you would use to describe yourself? Impatient. <laughs> if you could be a person for a day besides yourself, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. That one's tough. Who would I be? And people uh, always say alive or living. I think it could be either. Mother Teresa. I mean, <laughs> Mother Teresa? Yes. Well, yeah, she gave food, right? And that's kind of what you uh, do. And then on the environmental side, I would say someone like, um, oh, gosh, um, Aldo Leopold. Yeah. What is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, lack of commitment. What is one app on your phone that you cannot live without? Waking up. It's a meditation app. Yeah? Yeah. What does that do? Uh, it's just a daily meditate. helps me 
to med to focus the like, it's a it ten like minute a sound, meditation. A sound? Uh, it's a, like there's chanting? a little like talk. You know, he's, oh, he's walking talking. me through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite vegetable? Uh, potatoes. Potatoes? Yeah. And your least favorite? Uh, my least favorite would be eggplant. Eggplant? Yeah. What kind of potatoes? Like regular potatoes? I like sweet potatoes. You mean those or? No, I I, I love potatoes. Um, probably like a red skinned potato. Wow. Yeah. I would have I would have said you would have said broccoli. <laughs> I like kale too. Yeah. On the opposite side, kale is pretty darn good. What is one thing people? What is something about you that few people would know? Hmm. Probably that the the biggest influence on my life has been the American River. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 made me who I am. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Define what I care about. That experience okay. of swimming and experience you know, just my daily reality was consumed by the American River. Wow. So yeah. you know the American River well? Pretty you know well. All the banks, yeah. Pretty well. Yeah. And a couple more. If I get into your car, if I get into Sean's car and I turn on the radio, what am I gonna hear? Probably a lot of rock. Rock? Yeah. I, I'm a I'm a music lover for sure. I yeah. and I grew up with, you know, 80s rock, probably a band called Tesla, which is from Sacramento. Yeah. And finally, what is the biggest lesson that you have learned from working with and on the land? Humility. I mean, you just you just have to roll with it. You know, accept what it. You have no control over nature. You have no control at all. Right. Yeah. Pretty humbling for sure. Well, Sean, we've been speaking with Sean Harrison, founder and co-director of the Soilborn Farms, which is right here in Rancho Cordova. And if you've never been there, I would definitely encourage you to go. And I've said it three times, definitely buy some of their homegrown produce. And I know, and I know because I have, and I can't say it enough. Sean, thank you for being here. And thank you for everything that you do for this city, which I know you're an important part of the city. And, and your staff as well. So there you have it, folks. Thank you for listening. Please visit our website, uh, www.ranchocordovapodcast.org, where you can listen to any past shows. And of course, you can listen to these shows on any podcast platform. Send us any comments or so, show suggestions you may have. My name is Charles Lego, and until next time.